Hey everybody, uh, Aaron here, and we're back with uh, my buddy Jim to talk about another bald movie today. Uh, it's 1996's Train Spotting, which we were recently drugged for not having seen uh, <laughs> on our forums and social media and, el and elsewhere. So we, so we rectified this. Uh, Train Spotting, of course, is directed by Danny Boyle, who not only has directed the sequel T2 to Train Spotting, uh, he's also directed The Beach, 28 Days Later, Sunshine, Slumdog Millionaire, 127 Hours, Steve Jobs, and Yesterday. Uh, he wrote this uh, with uh, John Hodge, who's the credit primary credit on a screenplay. Uh, who also uh, they collaborated on uh, Danny's first film, Shallow Grave, which also I think is one of Ewan McGregor's first films. Uh, in '94, Train Spotting, A Life Less Ordinary, The Beach, again, uh, The Final Curtain, and it's based on a Scottish novel, Train Spotting, by Irvin Welsh or Irvine Welsh. It stars, as I mentioned, Ewan McGregor. Uh, Ewan Brimmer, a lot of Ewans, Johnny Lee Miller, Kevin McKidd, Robert Carlyle. It's the first appearance of a 19-year-old Kelly McDonald on film. And Peter Mullen, which if you don't recognize his name, uh, if you're watching Westworld, you've gone all the way down with him as Jim Dalos. Uh, Jim, yeah, what did you think? Have, have you seen Train Spotting? Well, of course not. It's how we ended in this predicament. We, yeah, it's we, my first time seeing it. First time seeing uh what did you think? I thought it was amazing. Uh, I I kind of... I, I guess I didn't really know what to expect out of this movie, even though people talk about it as, like, one of the definitive and quintessential uh, drug films of certainly the 90s, but maybe of all time. Uh, and I think they're right about that. After having seen it once, it was kind of amazing. Um and I, I have this new, I guess between like this and 28 Days Later, which is one of my all-time favorite zombie films, uh, Sunshine, which is just like this eerily beautiful mm -hmm. film. Mm -hmm. uh, both of those starring, uh, what's his name? Cillian Murphy. Mm -hmm. I, I'm starting to like really, really appreciate Danny Boyle's catalog. I've seen Slumdog Millionaire. I didn't think it was like as amazing as... Yeah everyone seemed to think it was when it came out i i thought it was very very good sure sure um but it, it's definitely but a I, mass I appeal type of, his, of thing yeah. right i appreciate some of his quirkier more niche stuff and this definitely fits in there oh man, yeah man i'm impressed i mean what they did with a low budget some of the practical effects they did of just like you know doing drugs and like to can't like uh you know him him going diving into the the worst toilet in scotland Oh uh, to retrieve just a pittance worth of drugs. Uh, some stuff was just so god awful, but so well executed and on such an obviously slow, low budget. Um, yeah. I like this movie. So you've seen Requiem for a Dream, right? Mm -hmm. I actually think this is a better drug film because it. I felt like this did a better job of selling me why a person would find themselves in this situation. Like, what is the initial appeal? Um, why do you keep doing it? What is the sense of community here that keeps you locked into it? Um, and because it was like you had this ups and downs and kind of manic fun in the beginning, I felt like the gut punches landed. Uh, they came out of nowhere. And, and it felt like yeah. I authentic to like coming out of a heroin haze and like, oh, God, this fucking heavy thing. What are we going to do? Well, of course, before we do anything, we're going to do more heroin. And there's this yeah. like that kind of 
I got it, you know, like I and more like a Requiem for a Dream feels more like a cautionary tale. Uh, this feels very much more like uh, this is just the this is just the reality of of being really into a drug culture. Um, and yeah, I think you're right. I mean, one of the things I noticed is how they oscillate between, you know, the highs and the lows of the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I guess, one of the parts that of the whole experience that Requiem doesn't get at is kind of the highs you know for for as many highs as are in that movie mm-hmm. uh it doesn't show you the good times right the good yeah. parts of being a heroin addict uh-huh uh whereas this movie does and i it's it has a certain sort of appeal i think um it's certainly nothing i would ever want to get mixed up in uh i'm a not even once on heroin same kind of guy. same uh but i understand yeah after watching this movie like you said it's it kind of gives you a 360 view of the whole thing makes you understand why people who you know do give it a shot sort of get caught up in the thing and i think tommy yeah. is maybe the most vivid example of that um and the, the most tragic certainly in this movie yeah and there's just that's the other thing that felt right like these codependent like terrible relationships where you just use people, but it's okay because they'll use you if they get a chance and the people are like, and you have no camaraderie with anyone that's in the straight world because they don't understand. They're going to judge you. Uh, they're going to try to get you locked up. So fuck them. Like it, it really paints a picture of how you can get and Like there's a kind of a rational, um, you know, as a young person, it's like, oh, you know, they want they want um, they want me to be a normal person. They want me to get on this path. They want me to to choose these various things. I'm just going to refuse to choose. And um, I'm reminded of the uh, <laughs> the Rush song about, uh, you know, if you fail to make a, ch- a choice or if you f- refuse to choose, you still made a choice. Um, yeah. And it kind of shows like you there's a reason that a lot of people do choose not to just drop out of society because there's a few ways where that can go right like some kind of on walden pond situation where you go and you know have a sustainable garden in some kind of bumfuck wyoming and you homestead but you know if you do it this way where you just get a squat in a flat and shoot up all day uh things just go very very badly um and yeah, I, I I like it. I it felt like dirtier, more authentic, more more real than like Requiem, which even when it's showing disgusting things, is well lit and kind of like uh, somewhat glamorous. Um, I mean, it, I'm not gonna say Requiem romanticizes heroin. It's just it's got such a slick production that it feels like it in comparison to this train spotting deal. Gotcha. Um, and, and I don't want to like. I do want to say we're going to get into spoilers here eventually, but maybe we should talk a little bit about the production because you've been talking about the budget. Yeah. Apparently this thing had like a 1.5 million pound budget uh-huh. or euro pound. I, I don't know what they're using in 96. Sure. Uh, probably a euro. I think they stuck with the pound, didn't they? Like the like that was one of the things that even even they, they, they maintained a pound sterling. Even in the face of uh, joining the EU? Yeah, yeah. Weird. Uh, yeah, so... 1.5 million euros pounds whatever uh made like 50 times that it, mm-hmm. it, it actually had a pretty good box office run uh and and you you can see the low budget but also i was kind of surprised at some of the i guess the things about the production from a casting standpoint because this is a scottish film yes um, and it scottish takes place in fuck. edinburgh right uh edinburgh, edinburgh. 
or yeah, however, however the Scottish say it. Um, but you've got a couple of actors in here who are Scottish. Uh-huh. You've got like, um, I mean, Ewan McGregor is Scottish, obviously. Right. Uh, this Ewan and guy who plays Spud is Scottish. Kelly McDonald, I think, is Scottish. But uh-huh. then you've got guys like Johnny Lee Miller, who are English American, uh-huh. and you've got. Uh, the guy who plays Tommy is American as well. And I'm thinking, how the hell did they get cast in this movie? Because it's like a small-time director at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Danny Boyle was not known for anything, really. Um, and you've got a couple of American a- actors doing Scottish accents in a Scottish film taking place in Scotland. It's really weird to me that you would cast Johnny Lee Miller the year after he did Hackers. That's what I kept on. Like Every time he popped up, I'm like, it's the douche from Hackers, man. Yeah, this this is zero cool, right? This is yeah. I don't I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe those were guys were trying trying to uh, not be typecast as douchey hacker type roles, and were asking their agent to get them into some kind of low budget, weird experimental thing. Because you're right. I I I assumed that they were all at least in the UK. I didn't know that you actually had people uh, uh, Americans. No, I mean, yeah, two two of the main cast are American, which was strange to me. But yeah, I I like Johnny Lee Miller a lot, um, and I think he does passable work here as a Scot. Uh, but I think I, I really appreciate his career, and it, it's kind of the same way I appreciate Danny Boyle's catalog, mm-hmm. which is like his nichier stuff, his smaller stuff, um, maybe the stuff that isn't meant for mainstream consumption. Because Johnny mm-hmm. Lee Miller, you know, he's gone on to do played sherlock holmes in elementary or whatever a modern day sherlock oh shit done he was in season five of dexter which i really liked him in but some of his nichier stuff like this now having Mm -hmm. seen it and hackers Mm -hmm. is kind of what i grew up with johnny lee miller in and that's what i think of him as is like this niche kind of low budget sort of like doing stuff around the fringes of society because hackers and heroin addicts are about as fringy as you can get in the 90s yeah yeah uh so i i really appreciate that he did he play sick boy in this? <laughs> Although knowing what I know about hacking, maybe I should be skeptical about this is like how heroin culture really is. <laughs> right. Right. Maybe maybe that was that was heroin culture 30 years ago, but it's all diff- it's a different different heroin game now. Uh yeah. No, Hacker's I think that's that accurate. And I I think that's um that's why I have come to appreciate that the just say no to drugs campaigns are actually, I wonder if they haven't done more harm than good. Because when you tell people that, like, if you try, you know, you're, you try marijuana, you get reefer madness, you snort a little coke, you're going to, your brain will be fried. If you do, like, and kids do, you know, mess around with shit and find out, you know what, I'm still here the next day and everything's cool. And then someone offers you heroin and it's just like, we should talk about, like, you know, there's alcohol and there's caffeine and there's marijuana and there's, you know, cocaine and there's ecstasy and then there's meth and then there's heroin and they're fundamentally in a different kind of class of things like these opioids. It just seems like, you know, we found out in America, you know, like a lot of people that got hooked on heroin uh, got a legal dose of painkilling medicine. Um, I mean, I grew up like I was 18 to mid 20s during the whole like, oh, pain revolution. No one has to live under pain anymore. We have so much effective pain treatments. Go to your doctor. Talk to him about get it. Get on Vicodin or whatever. And it's it's a it's a 
it's a it seems like it's it's a very it's a uniquely hard thing to to avoid getting addicted to and then to kick it's just a fucking nightmare and yeah and they kind of address that right up front in the movie right where they're talking about the effect of it the feeling of being on heroin where it's take the the best orgasm you've ever had times it by a thousand that doesn't even come close yeah to the feeling of doing heroin and the first few the other thing i've heard that's seductive about heroin is that for the first few times you're on it um it just makes everything better like you can your your job is like infinitely more interesting and easy to get through like if you had a bad family situation that stuff doesn't matter as much it just helps you be like a, a normal human being helps you sleep but then when you go from that to like needing it and needing ever more quantities just to feel okay f- figuring out how to spin you know f- to constantly get you know like the only thing that's important is the next hit that's where it's like you know you you, you don't know that the trap is set until you're you're well into the physical dependency it's, it's like I, I said it's a really scary drug it's funny because um about 30 minutes into it jack walked in want to know what is watching i was about i was about to be like i don't know if this and i'm like you know what you're 13 going on 14 sit your ass yeah sit down let's let's watch this movie and yeah. it i think it blew his mind because he's kept on saying like BBC. why is this happening and I'm like, yeah, heroin, man, heroin. Like these people can't literally help themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it really was affecting like when, you know, uh, uh, seeing some of these people trying to go through detox or even like multiple rounds of detox, um, seeing just like bad decisions compound with bad decisions. And you know why? Because every yeah. time you make a bad decision and it bites you in the ass, you feel really bad and man, you gotta gonna have to have another hit of heroin and I have to have a rally needle or something. And it's just like, that just locks you in that cycle. And I've never seen a movie give a more like stark example of that than this movie does. I mean, when that, so there's, there's this question that kept popping up in my notes over and over again for the first half of this movie. We're going to go right now is where we're going to go to massive spoilers. So if you haven't seen it, you should, yeah. because there's a couple moments where I'm glad I, I thought this movie was certainly about heroin, but I thought it got its name from like them surfing on trains because they're suicidal. Mm-hmm. Was that even a movie, or did I completely invent that there was a? It sounds a, like the Lost Boys, honestly. Okay. <laughs> it sounds like them <laughs> hanging the off the train track. tracks. But I thought there was yeah. a movie about people like um, surfing on high speed trains in Europe or maybe even Japan, and I thought it was this movie. It's not. It's not. So uh, take all that ignorance and watch this movie. <laughs> Uh, because because there's a couple twists and turns that really work if you don't see them coming. Yeah. Jim, proceed. All right. Now that now that everybody's seen the film, uh, a couple times in my notes, I wrote down this question: Whose baby is this? Yup. And man, do they pay that off? Like, you want to see an example of substance abuse and the 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 way that that abusers lean on that substance for everything in their life um right down to like the strength to carry on it's in this movie and i don't think i've ever seen such a stark example of it and yeah i i i remember seeing that baby kind of like playing around the edges i'm like oh, it kind of looks healthy like i don't know maybe this will you know uh turn out okay and you kept on seeing you kept on seeing it and then like i'd kind of forgotten about that until it turns around and yeah, it's like that that fucking dead baby is one of the most starkest like and the immediate aftermath of that what happens and yeah. they all and like uh 
And then it, it never resolves because like, I was thinking like, oh, this is where people are going to go to jail. This is people but like it just kind of goes away. And that felt I'm like, OK, this actually feels like they probably just dumped it somewhere and no one's going to know about it for years and years and years if they ever find out about it. Right. And like that, that's what feels like heroin, like even how they led into that, like, you know, they are all clean and they're doing fine. And then they've decided they can't handle society because, you know, they've got seems like a lot of these, um, you know, if you're poor and Scottish, it, you share a lot of uh, things in common with being poor and American and that you feel like there's nothing, you know, society has nothing to offer you that there's it's, it's all a rigged game. Uh, so why not do heroin and just like, you know, the mother screaming and like Ewan McGregor's character rent rent trying to figure out like, why is she screaming? How long has she been screaming? Has anyone said anything for like, oh, and then I started being like, oh, Jesus, they've done heroin so much that they just completely forgotten about this baby. Yeah. And it and was tough to watch. Like I've, I've always wanted to see the zombie baby, but not like this. Not like this. Not, not like, like this. this. My God. Uh, and they do such great work with him when he's in his parents, like uh, Gior Mormont, the old bear, is his dad in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a fucking dad. And he barricades his son into his room, and and he and in 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 a room full of trains. Um, and he just goes through these intense scenes of psychosis. And they do this really great thing where, like, he's in this single bed. And he goes under the sheets and like one of his mates comes and threatens to kick his, kick his ass and then rolls and then he takes the covers. And I think that's a single camera break, but it's like they just optically set it up where these illusions felt so real because they were happening in the camera frame and the camera lens was seeing yeah. it. But they just like almost like a magician were rearranging the set and rearranging the uh, the, the scenery to 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 make the stuff pay off like um, him crawling into that toilet. Uh, uh, like there's this magical kind of realism going on that I, is extraordinarily effective showing someone at the depths of a heroin binge and also showing them at the depths of heroin withdrawal. Well, That's let's, just let's amazing. Let's just talk briefly about how that scene has aged like a fine wine. That, that scene is one thing when you're viewing it from the perspective of a fresh-faced nobody who is Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Yeah. That scene is an entirely different thing when you're viewing it from the perspective of this man has played Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh-huh. uh, and he's crawling face first into the worst toilet in Scotland. He's sang pretty songs oh uh, opposite God, so of Nicole Kidman. He's... <laughs> yeah. No, fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. And it's, oh, God, like, there's very he few... He spits the water out when he comes out of... Oh. Man, there's very few scenes that make me gag, but the idea that he has to shit so bad that he's going to use this toilet, and then halfway through realizing, oh, God, my drugs. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, no, Which no. And <laughs> I, I almost, I, I, ser- I swear to God, I almost threw up. <laughs> why? Okay, so, A, why even bother with the toilet? I mean... Clearly, you're not the first person to shit on the floor in this bathroom. Mm, mm, yeah. B, uh, what is actually happening here? Because when he gets out of the toilet, which I have to assume is just a fever dream, right? This is not—he's not literally crawling. No, I think he, I think he went. Toilet. I, I think he had to go way down into the back of the toilet to find those suppositories. Okay, but when he gets home, he's soaked head to toe. Yeah. Did. Is he sweating or is it just like, he again, that magical realism thing? Because they, they did yeah. show that, like, you know, that you, you have like a whole bunch of different crazy side effects from from these drugs. Um, and they, they do a great job even with that low budget. Right. Because like you can tell he's crawling into like 
uh shit what is it called when you cut something in half to see the inside of it oh yeah a cutaway or cross section yeah yeah he's crawling into like a reverse cross section of a toilet here where we mm -hmm. can only see the good side yeah and he's like crawling past the toilet but, yeah, yeah it looks uh, great it really works yeah it, the effect is really cool yeah and then the actual swimming like they I, I imagine they spent like a good chunk of the movie just do it underwater filming with ewan mcgregor in this disgusting yeah. toilet um it's brilliant i loved it yeah uh and again like i said the, the practical effects i could talk all day about like the way they weave like the different visions and him twisting and turning into sheets and uh during the the, the pretty prolonged effect of him going cold turkey but I also want to talk about go back to kind of the sociological things because, like, the idea that this guy wants to go clean and gets clean at several times in this movie and always finds him way back, I think, is interesting because it seems like um, there's a lot of like uh, things like uh, talking about his he got a Valium from his mother the first time he tries to kick it and he's like you know because she's a, one of the socially acceptable types of drug addicts you know she's a mm -hmm. uh, housewife and you know maybe she has a whole glass of you know a whole bottle of wine every night and she has a couple valiums but you know that's fine she's holding it together um and then the idea that you as a heroin addict you drive away anyone that can give you a hand up or or is is respectable uh and you're left with just these worst dregs and then they're your mates like several points of third like well they're my they're my mates what are you going to do some of them aren't even drug addicts like um Oh God, was that Benny, um, the psychopath? Be Begby. Begby, yes. Yeah, yeah. Like guys like Begby who are proud of not putting that shite in our my body, but he's so fucked up and addicted to this rage and the power that he has over people that he might as well. Yeah. He actually would probably be better better off. The heroin would like kind of fucking smooth him out. But you're just right. left with this, like, self-reinforcing, like, you know, if you try to get something together, your mates steal it all to get a next score. Um, you know, you got a stable relationship, your mate steals your porn tape that gets you broken up with a girlfriend that spirals you into your own drug addiction. Um, you're, you're, you're broke and you're on heroin, you don't give a shit about clean needles, so you give each other HIV. It's like just this uh, this everyone has a chance to hold the misery bucket and as they pass it from from mate to mate it just sloshes all over him and it's and I, that I, somehow drives them closer together right like that that tightens the bonds instead of like the normal reaction which would be this person is detrimental to my life it's more like you hold more tightly to those people because that's all you've got yeah and i feel like the some people there, there again like um that's one of the um underappreciated privileges of having like good family and, and a reasonable amount of wealth or being kind of, you know, well off is that, um, when you are growing up in a poor community, the people that you have to associate are limited or people that will associate with you are limited. And you're always taught that like, Hey, you should stick by your friends. You shouldn't narc on your friends. Your friends are, you know, should be like a bond that lasts for life. And that works against people to get themselves in a the situation because I've certainly gone through multiple cycles of weaning out friends like, you know, when I went from, like, uh, elementary school to high school, like, I had to tighten my friend circle because some of my friends started getting in some crazy fucking shit. When I went into adulthood, I had to, there's a couple other people that were going to hit the skids and going to burn out. And, you know, you had to make a decision about whether you're going to join them in that spiral or you're going to try to do something better. And then I went through that again in a cycle in, like, kind of my, my middle life when I kind of refactored my... And... 
but it's I recognize that that's a very tough decision to do, and it seems like it's a betrayal, and it seems like you're the you're the asshole every single time you do it. Um, and, and there's a certain amount of privilege um, to even being in that position. Like, sure, the idea that because you know look at that from the other side, right? The person who's being cut out uh, mm-hmm. because they're perceived as as less than or they can't uh, you know they can't keep up um, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm that's that's who these people are right right and so like, i'm i'm constantly in awe of roger ebert's ability to see a movie and break down its fundamental concepts into just this cohesive narrative that he constructs his review on this film is so fucking good yep uh he just he takes all of the the crazy shit that's going on in this and he just lays it all out and says these people you know, they, they don't get stuck in this because it's necessarily all they have, though that is part of it. But it's like these people understand what you're going through, too. And they're the only mm-hmm. ones who can. Like mm-hmm. the parents who are telling you, oh, you need to get off this shit. Why are you putting this shit in your body? They don't understand it. The people like Frank uh, Begbie in this scene don't understand it. But they're somehow, I, I don't know, in on this group. Um, but these people who go through this with you are the only people who understand it. And so, like you know, the people who would say, well, you just need to cut these people out of your life. I think that's a privileged point of view mm-hmm. because if they did cut these people out of their life, what would they have? They have nothing. They'd have to rebuild. Yeah. And, and, and also, especially it's one thing to do it like early before you go down that spiral. But if you go down the right. spiral and you try to cut them out, then it's like, you got the problem of being a junkie and all the yeah. negative stigma that it goes trying to reenter society, normal society. And you see like, what great measures rent takes to break this cycle. Like he gets clean. He go, he goes from Edinburgh to, to, uh, uh, London. He starts a career. It's taking off, but this fucking life finds him. And in form of Bigsby, you know, like wanting to hide out from the law. And suddenly he starts getting sucked back into it. And that like one moment. Okay. Well, he's my mate. Okay, fine. Like, I don't want him to go to jail. That sucks. Uh, that one fucking moment of like weakness, mercy. Um, that's what I'm saying. It's so fucked up because when you're a kid, you get all these mixed messages. You know, you got uh, your parents saying you got to be careful who you 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 follow around, but then you also got Gandalf saying, "Hey, maybe you should feel bad for Smeagol and Gollum," and you know, and uh, you know, like where what, and and sometimes it's a huge decision, like who you give clemency and who you give mercy to, and who you forgive and who you help. Um, you know, sometimes can 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 be a super rewarding experience. It gets repaid tenfold later on in your life, which I've experienced. Uh, sometimes it can be a fucking boat anchor that tries to drag you down, which I also um, have have experienced in my life. Um, it's just you, you're right, and I think it's funny because Roger Ebert gets us a three out of four stars, and I felt like he. <laughs> He didn't give it the fourth. He, he held the fourth star because like the conclusion of the movie is just too depressing. Like, gotcha. you know, like what is the, you know, kind of like he's like, what is the point? Because this movie doesn't have like a moral message. I think, it, you know, I mean, obviously it, it kind of does, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have like, you know, it's it's more of like an accurate telling of these dynamics. It doesn't like suggest things that society can do to fix them it doesn't make you feel good about looking down on them it doesn't make you feel good about glorifying them for sure it just is what it is it's in like a um uh, a documentary style look into what being uh, a heroin addict in a particular time and place was like 
And I think Ebert at the end is like, what do you do with this movie? <laughs> and and the end of this movie is is just a return to the beginning of the movie, right? Like in a pretty literal sense, like some of the lines are exactly the same. And he's sort of in a position where I don't think he's going to move on from this life. Damn, um, damn. Because I it's funny because I thought he did. I thought this, that this was an arc that he was now on a, a 180 trajectory. But then I started reading some other people's thoughts and saying that, like, no, this is just. Oh, maybe. I, I might have thought that if it wasn't for the dialogue um, where he's talking about the choice, the choice, the choice, choose this, choose that, I'm choosing it. I I, I feel like this is a false positive ending. But, it could be. But yeah. I, I couldn't really tell you why. It's just a feeling I have. No, I mean, I mean, it makes per- I didn't get that, but it makes perfect sense because this movie was a self-contained series, like a, like a Machoiska dolls, like an, a series of nested him making choices to do better and then eventually for you know reasons understandable petty small large going back into that so like why would i think that this one is the time that he's really going to kick it just because he essentially gave the opposite speech that he did from the beginning and it's the end of the movie so i want you and mcgregor to do well because yeah like i think that's just my that's just my naivety and my soft head, my soft heart, like at play, I mean, w- wanting yeah, to like, a- yeah, now he kicked it. I can't wait to see T two where he's forty <laughs> in his mid forties and he hasn't been on heroin for years and he's got a wife and a kid. That's probably not the plot of that movie. I, I can't imagine. Although it is hilarious that you bring up T two because I was I I had to go to nefarious means. I had to trade a lot of heroin to get my hands on this movie. It's just not online. It's not streaming reason. hardly anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Not streaming on Netflix or Amazon, nowhere. Uh, I don't have a Google Play device. I can't watch it there. So, like, I, I bought I, it I on net. I bought it on YouTube and then the PlayStation player wouldn't show it to me. Jesus. Uh, so, so, don't so f- I did some nefarious shit to, uh-huh. uh, to get this movie. Yeah. However, the first time I tried to do that, I accidentally downloaded T2. And I was watching it, and I was going, God damn, this movie looks amazing for 1996. <laughs> what fucking cameras and lighting did they use? Uh-huh. And then I realized, oh, shit. I didn't realize it until the title card came up. I'm like, okay, he's on the treadmill. He's, he's you know, in good shape, and he's doing things right. Where When is this going to spiral? And it spiraled right at the title card when it said T2 train spotting, and I went, oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that one's from 2017, by the way, 20 years later. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I... I heard a lot of I, I feel like the critical opinion in that was not great, but I, I don't know. Um, or maybe it's like, you know, why would you revisit this? I kind of want to see it, though, because um, I, 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 I like Danny Boyle's films and I really, really like this film. And I kind of want to see, like, how many people from that world lived, how many people died, what's going on with Renton, um, all that kind of stuff. Um but I, I don't know. Like, I the thing is, is I guess the re- one of the reasons I wanted him to succeed is like at the, towards the end of the movie, like the last act, I felt like he was, you know, um, a lot of times like women in abusive relationships when, you know, I've read some guides about like, you know, how do you get out of that? Because um, I think this stuff is, you know, pretty fascinating. Um, and like, you know, if you're such in the situation, how do you get yourself out of it? And a lot of it is kind of like you know, slowly, like get a plan, find a trusted friend that have them hold a duffel bag for you. And then over the next couple of weeks, slowly put some spare clothes over there, some money, some cat, like watching him get the safety deposit box and get his passport in order. Like I started to feel like 
he's trying to leave an abusive relationship. He's got his go bag. He keeps his passport in a safe location. He's 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 setting himself to where he can make a clean break and just disappear. And I want to believe that 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 will work and that he won't you know um renege on that choice he won't he won't go back to being but you're you know i I think i would be with you if it weren't for the fact that he tried that once and failed yeah Um, and and i don't i don't think look if you if you try something and it fails i don't think you should give up Um, oh sure and he clearly doesn't want to give up but i also think that he could be stuck in these patterns and if he just bounces if he leaves scotland goes wherever he's going to go to get away from his mates. He's also getting away from his support network, which is mm-hmm. his family who got him clean mm-hmm. in the first place. Mm-hmm. He's just committed this big betrayal of his mates. And that's going to, I think, have to eat away at him, especially, you know, he goes through the list and says, oh, well, Frank's Frank's ridiculous, right? Beg- Begbie, he's he's violent. I, I can't stay with him anyway. Uh, Sick boy would have done the same to me had he come up with the idea. Spud's the one he feels bad about. And right. I think leaving him two grand is is nice but mm. how much is that going to eat away at him right how much is this betrayal because hey he's leaving him half of what he actually was supposed to get oh, i thought he did seems... leave him the full 4k was it two stacks oh. i thought it was just a stack which maybe he did maybe maybe you're right thing to do and i feel like that's going to eat away at him at some point yeah but but he's he's missing his whole support network which got him clean in the first place so i'm worried about that yeah, and I, I just really appreciated. Like, there's also the scene where, you know, he's getting into this deal to sell this large quantity of heroin, and um, how methodically and just reasonably he breaks down the logic of why this relationship is working. It's like, well, I can't trust this guy, but he's got this and this, and he knows this, so he probably won't do this. And this is the reason why this guy is on this operation because it's like this, like. Um, a psychological and emotional Mexican standoff between this incredibly violent person, this incredibly manipulative person, this person just kind of like goes along and gets along and like how those relationships are all proportionally balanced to make this enterprise work. And also like the way they celebrate that 16,000 pound score, yeah, which I, I get. It's a little bit like, I just like, I, I see stuff like that and I'm just like this. How is it possibly worth the, you know, prison time or, you know, like $4,000 is a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money too. Right. Um, and for the, the way they were kind of, and then of course it all, it just goes bad because um, they're all, whether it's Big B with his violence, uh, whether it's Renton with his, you know, whatever, why, you know, I, I, I wonder why Rent got into this situation. Cause he seems like he had fairly solid working class, middle-class parents that provided him like, I don't know, like you, you cast Gior and you make certain feeling, you know, about like what kind of dad he was. Maybe he wasn't as warm and love, but like, it seems like he's just rebelling against the concept of society. Like society so, yeah. wants me to do all these things, but I, I fucking want to be a rock star, and I don't want to do that stuff. So fuck society. And who are the people that also say fuck society? Oh, they're these type of people. Oh, and what do they do? They do this. Okay, I'm doing that too. Yeah, it's interesting that that's kind of tied in with you know, sick boys Sean Connery discussion, um, and that idea of like, oh, at some point you just get too old and you can't hack it, and that's like his big revelation about life which is so fucking obvious uh mm-hmm. as a 38 year old man in retrospect mm-hmm. but like there's there's something tied in with that where like his identity is now this culture um 
and and that culture is moving on from him right there's this discussion where he's talking with his underage girlfriend i know kelly mcdonald yeah yeah. uh and she's talking about how you know drugs are moving on music is moving on like everything you're becoming sean connery past his prime and i think he's that's that kind of takes him off guard because he has identified as like this type of person for a while now Mm mm-hmm when Kelly McDonald showed up, I like Kelly McDonald. I've, I've liked her in a lot of things. Um, I especially liked her in Boardwalk Empire, one of my favorite t- television shows. This is her first role. She's 19. She's playing a 15-year-old. And when they re- make that reveal um, that uh, she's – and I, I thought, well, this is going to be a big – this is going to be like a baby, a dead baby class disaster. Yeah. Nothing ever really comes of that. No, I think this is – they should have cut this out of the movie, actually. Yeah, I almost wonder, like, yeah, like, this was a bigger part of the book um, because, like, the way she kind of came in and out of his life didn't really make sense, didn't really track. And they did need her for, like, that one scene that you're talking about where she talks about how, like, you're missing your last exit point to get onto a normal life. If you don't fucking hit the exit ramp right here, you're going to go into – permanent skid row what you're doing is no longer cool right (laughs) yeah and and um but that's she has like really two scenes and then that's kind of it um it's my biggest complaint about the the film but i I, if they cut that out then the movie's like an hour and 15 minutes long and then is like really a picture it's like i i wonder like what i would love to see what made the cutting room floor maybe this is really tight film because like a, a low budget you know sometimes um you just run out of film like maybe they're going to yeah. film some more scenes with her and they just kind of ran out of time. But, uh, you know, what they uh, could have maybe padded it out with, which, uh, we haven't talked about yet. And it's the most obvious thing to talk about is the title of this film, mm. uh, train spotting. Do you know anything about the term train spotting? So, yeah. Uh, cause I thought it was train surfing and, and that's how they got, uh, the, their, their thing. But the way I understand it is this is like a colloquial colloquial phrase from like the 60s and 70s in Britain about someone that's obsessed over um, a pointless endeavor. Yeah. But it also takes its name from like old guys who would go and watch trains, take pictures of trains, like be obsessed with trains, trains potters. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't sure. Well, there's also a third meaning, which I think is where I'm right. at with the padding out this movie a little bit more. So in the book um, – there's actually a scene where Frank uh, Begbie meets his dad in a train. Yeah. Who's a homeless yeah, yeah. man. And he comes up and he, he approaches him and Renton uh, and, and just sort of like says, are, are you boys train spotting? Mm-hmm. And in the context of the book, that actually just means, are you guys here to do drugs? Because yeah. a lot of people in that area would go to the train yards to do drugs, shoot up. It's like whatever. saying you're looking for a shooting gallery. If you're in, exactly the bad part of la you know like it it means something different than you would know yeah 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 and i don't know that i needed like the frank the the begbie angle of that but it would have maybe explained the title a little bit more because right now it's it's pretty cryptic as to what train spotting even means in this film in fact i thought like when i saw his room and it was all decorated in trains. I'm like, aha, now I'm going to, in some of these drug-fueled visions, I'm going to see the deep. But no, I had to look it up. Yeah. I agree. I agree. You take out the Kelly McDonald stuff. Uh, you put in that scene with his dad. Because it also explains Bigsby. Like, you know, why he is so fucked up, but also, like, you know, adamantly anti-drug. If you watch his old man 
you know, uh, yeah. work himself into being a train hobo through a drug habit, a habit that would make a lot of sense. Um, plus, we get to see another like fantastic British actor doing some 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 cool cool work. Yeah. Um, one other visual I thought was really good was when he um got his first good hit after go like being on methadone for a long time. He went to see Mother Superior, um, Jim Dalos. And um, one of the dangers of being uh, a returning heroin addict is when you go back, you want to go back at the level you were at, and now your body can't handle it, and you almost die, or sometimes die. And the practical effect of, like, them showing the inside of the needle going in going into his veins and they showed they it, it simultaneously did something showed how like fucking disgusting that environment is but also you got this idea that like that was literally like a flushing of something down a drain as it went into the hole the needle into his arm i thought that was so fucking cool and then the effect of him sinking into the carpet and then calling a taxi and how the ta- the, the guy who just like you know has this air of someone that does this all the fucking time. Like he just literally yeah. dumps his body off at the top. And then the way the um the EMTs um or the orderlies are picking him up to ground, like everyone, like that shows just the briefest of the other side of society. And that's where you know, uh America's been in the throes of opioid ad- uh, uh, ad- epidemic and I see uh sometimes for my own family people like um having this like fuck these junkies you know like they should just ban narcon they should ban you know this thing that can save a person's life because they just do it to themselves and like you can see how you can get into that opinion if this is you know like if you see a hundred rentons coming into the er a day you go on you know you go on 20 ambulance runs and half of them are rentons like imagine that does eat at you um but i don't know because like it's also like I don't understand like what media these people are watching that they have still in 2020 come to the conclusion that the way you treat addiction is just to let addicts die to, to further criminalize them, to drive them further into the underworld of society to, to make it dangerous for them to seek treatment and rehabilitation. Um, yeah. It's, Cause yeah, it's like a lack of compassion and empathy for people who clearly, uh, you know, are, are driven to these things by circumstances of their life that are less than mm-hmm. spectacular. Yeah. I mean, we've we've set up our society to sort of not provide any safety, any comfort, any safe space for these people to get better um, mm-hmm. and treat the underlying problem as opposed to just the symptom, which is the drug abuse. Right. Yeah. We 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 have a distinct lack of compassion for people in this country. Yeah, and it is like. Um... It is counterintuitive that um, policies that are like, you know, more kind and I guess lenient actually paradoxically lead to reduced drug use and increase rehabilitation than just brutalizing them. Because we want to believe that like, well, it's, you know, it's like uh, your child's not doing something right. You, you tell them not to do it. And if they don't do that, then you yell at them. If they don't do it, then you, you smack them. Th- think and then about you, how like, hard you have to fight to, to push someone under the water and drown them. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you just relaxed a little bit, they'd come up, they'd start breathing, and they wouldn't fucking drown. Right. Yeah, that's, that's what we're good... doing to people. We're holding them under the water. We're using every ounce of strength yeah. we have to hold them under the fucking water so they can never get a breath. Yeah. And then we we shout at them from 
above the water and say, why the fuck aren't you breathing, you idiot? Yeah, yeah. It's so easy. Look at me. I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. Uh, what else do we want to talk about? Like I said, I this is a great movie. I was surprised at how funny it was, and I think that's one of the things that makes it really effective. The first half of this movie is actually a lot of fun to watch. Oh, yeah. It's and like, when they go to that club, that's fun. Like There's a lot of fun. Yeah, there's like and like just gut busting funny stuff and like disgustingly funny stuff, and I think that's what makes the the real gut punches land because that's the stuff that sneaks up on you and it feels again like more real and more honest than some of the other kind of like anti drug anthems that I've that I've uh, seen um, because yeah the movie is and I guess it's a, that's that shares a lot of like you know Quentin Tarantino kind of Pulp Fiction where like the movie's a lot of fun until suddenly it's not anymore. um this movie feels very much like that but never in a way that even in the fun parts it's like i (laughs) i never felt like oh yeah i want to be renton you know there was no like uh, tony montana doing like glamorous coke with michelle pfeiffer like none none of this stuff looked like it was appealing or appetizing at all none of the environments none of the like they're all filmed to look like these are young healthy attractive people that are filmed to look like they're on fucking death's door constantly Mm -hmm. um but and i I, like i said i've never seen that juxtaposition i've seen like a requiem for a dream where it's terrible things are happening to very beautiful well shot and well lit people um in very interesting um environments and i've seen things like this where you've got this disgusting you know group of people doing discussing things together but they're but they're having a lot of fun you know like they that camaraderie are. like what 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 Roger Ebert said like camaraderie the understanding the the esprit de corps that they they feel as these uh, drug addicts these outcasts of society um they just really sold that they did uh the, maybe the last thing that i want to talk about is a few moments that are just iconic from this film uh, we talked about the toilet which I don't. We don't need to go back into those waters. The worst but toilet in Scotland. Worst toilet in Scotland. <laughs> it turned out to be. Uh, the other one. So there were two others in my mind. Uh, when Spud shits the bed. Oh God! And he walks oh, my in with God. the sheets to the the pit. So this is what his girlfriend's parents. Yes. Called? Yes. Okay, and they end up just covered. Everyone ends up covered in his shit uh, through a mishap. It's it's iconic like i i can't get that, that image out of it, my mind it's, it turns into a farley brothers film at that point you know it does and it's, it's fun and it's ridiculous it's disgusting and, it's and yeah and you know it's going to happen and it's built up and filmed yep. the, the, the comedic pacing is impeccable yeah there's a third one which is by far the the most seared into my mind which is the baby uh uh-huh. when when ewan mcgregor when renton is trying to get clean and he's in his parents bedroom his childhood bedroom, I guess, and this baby is crawling across the ceiling, coming Fucking. for him. And I, I knew, I knew bad things were going to happen here, um, because he's tripping out. But like, I guess I didn't see the baby's head spinning around, Exorcist. staring at him, and then it falling down on top of him was the yeah. kind of kicker. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god! I no, will not that... be able to get that image out of my head for a long time. Yeah, no, that and the baby, the discovery of the baby, because you knew it's happening. And yeah. my only question was, how are they, are they going to show it? Are they going to be tasteful? Are they going? They they did um, the opposite of tasteful. It's just an un unflinching, just like here's a camera and this is what it probably looks like. Yeah, fucking horror show in that crib. And yeah, no, like I said, that uh, <laughs> 
I watched it with my 13 and a half year old and uh, I think it made a big impact. Um, and and I even told, like took the time to tell the difference. Like, you know, like there's drugs and there's drugs. And this is a movie about a drug that no sane person should ever, ever try. And if you got any questions about why that is, we can talk about it, but I don't think you will. Cause yeah, like I just remember so many times he's just like, why, why? And it's like, Cause the drug, man. Heroin's a hell of a drug. <laughs> I mean, D- Danny Boyle is great at that, at creating those iconic visual moments. Like, I, th- I will never forget uh, the the ending of Sunshine, which, if you haven't seen it, sorry for the spoilers. Skip ahead literally ten seconds, uh, where Cillian Murphy is just staring into the big ball of fire as the ship, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it, it descends into it. And I, the man, that's iconic. The the twenty eight days later shots with the city just completely of Cillian, Cillian Murphy. Walking out in his his hospital gown, completely empty city. I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, mm-hmm. Danny Boyle has a way of just creating a moment in his films that are emblazoned into your memory. Yeah, they stick with you. Yeah, he's got a real real talent for that. All right, that wraps us up for uh, Train Spotting this week. Next week we'll be back. Jim and I are going to check out 2019's Parasite by director Bong Joon Ho. Uh, I saw that movie late last year and quite enjoyed it. Uh, Jim, you have not seen it, correct? No, but I have seen Knives Out, and I think they're roughly the same. (laughs) There is some commonality that we can compare and contrast and discuss. Uh, One Oscar for Best Picture uh, for this year. It's a really good movie. If you guys haven't uh, checked it out, I encourage you to do so because uh, we're going to spoil the hell out of it. And it's uh, I, I went in that movie knowing absolutely nothing about it, except for maybe it was going to be a Korean horror movie. And uh, I like I said, I, I really liked it. So we'll be back next week to talk about that. Uh, until then, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. See you next week. <laughs>